You're listening to a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. For more info about Grace, please go to www.graceorange.org. And now, join us as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Good morning. Again, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Friedrich von Schiller said, the world's history is the world's judgment. And God's judgment starts with his wrath. We're going to see today what it means that the wrath of God is revealed. And I'm going to be looking at Romans 1, verses 18 through 23. And so please stand with me. I'm going to read those verses. This is the perfect, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God that I'm going to read. Well, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself, Lord, that your eternal power and your divine nature are clearly seen. And Lord, we pray Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts today, by your spirit, through your word, all for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Have you ever been really, really angry? I know you have. But think about that time when you were really, really angry. How loving did you feel at that moment? How, how loving did you feel in that moment of intense anger? We all know this, but our emotions get the best of us and bring out the worst in us. But God does not have mood swings. God can be 100% loving and 100% angry at the same time with no issues whatsoever. The same is not true for us. God is emotional, but not like humans. His attributes are in perfect harmony. And it's not easy to admit. This is a very a hard thing to admit. But God is angry with a large portion of humanity. And he is 100% right in his anger. This is why Romans 1 verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed. 
Now, have you ever been on a log ride at an amusement park? It was one of my favorite things when I was a kid. We'd go to an amusement park, and it was like log ride, my favorite ride. You'd get in this fake log, and you would go left and right and through these twists and turns, and, and you knew something was coming. You knew that you would be plunging over treacherous falls at some point, the most exciting and scary part of the ride. Now, have you ever run rapids on a real river? A similar thing can happen. You, you, it's thrilling, it's scary, and you're wondering, am I going to go over the falls? We're about to go through a scary, thrilling stretch of Romans that reveals just how sinful we are. The dark side of humanity, the underbelly, the reason we need a sinless Savior. You've you got to diagnose the disease before you give the cure, and Paul is going to show us very clearly how much we need Christ. We have seen what it means that God's righteousness is revealed. See that in verse 17, as he saves and carries believers from start to finish. We're going to see today that the wrath of God being revealed means that God is 100% right to be angry with people due to their sin. It's hard for us to, to comprehend, but God is 100% right to be angry with people due to their sin. God's wrath is rightly experienced by the ungodly. Jonathan Edwards preached his most famous and most misunderstood sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. My guess is you probably haven't read that sermon, and you might have some misunderstanding about it. You need to read it, because it is the most loving sermon that you could preach. He preached sinners in the hands of an angry God to his congregation in Northampton, Massachusetts, and he also preached it July 8, 1741, in Enfield, Connecticut. And the point was pretty much this. There is nothing that keeps wicked people at any moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. And there were some basic considerations to his sermon. First, God can cast wicked people into hell at any given moment. And that the wicked deserve to be cast into hell. And the wicked, this very moment, suffer under God's condemnation to hell. And that the wicked, this very moment, suffer a sample of hell's torments. That God is at this very moment as angry with them as he is with those now in hell. Who are feeling the fierceness of his wrath. And that any attempts to escape hell are futile if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will only save from hell those who are in Christ by grace through faith. And this is what he preached. This is what the Bible teaches. But when you think about the wrath of God and you think about the sin of mankind, there's a lot of people who just want to blame God for everything. Larry King recently tweeted, If God is omnipotent, why do tragedies like earthquakes and hurricanes happen? And then he said, no religious leader has ever been able to answer that for me. I loved this response to him. Someone else tweeted back, 
you want a fairy godmother, not a sovereign god. If God exists, humanity best approached with reverence and respect. Paul starts Romans off with a bold declaration. Dives deep into gospel truth right away. He says, God rescues everyone who believes and bows the knee in trusting submission to Jesus who is Lord over all. He starts Romans by saying, God rescues those who believe. And what we see here is that he rescues those who believe and no one else. It's a staggering claim. It was a staggering claim in the Roman world of that day. It's a staggering claim in our world today. This is what we learned in in verse 17. God reached down to rescue and give right standing to those who believe in Jesus. His righteousness is revealed as people are getting saved. As the gospel is believed. And it transforms our view of everything. Your, Your world is transformed when you come to faith in Christ. But here we're going through the rapids and and we're about to go over the falls. And and I want you to notice that verses 18 to 32, and we'll look at the the second half of this passage in a couple weeks. What you need to notice is this does not stand alone. We we somehow like airlift ourselves into passages of scripture outside of context and, and don't know what to do. What you need to realize is that verses 18 to 32 are part of the larger context of Romans and of the larger context of the Bible. And the Bible is in complete agreement with itself. And what Paul is doing, as he's jumping into verse 18, he's setting out to prove verse 17. The verse 18 is connected to verse 17 by the word for, because. And what you'll also want to notice is that verses 18 through 32 is just stage one of the proof. We'll see in this passage what God has done righteously and what mankind has done unrighteously. There is a serious charge of heinous sin being leveled against humanity here. It is why the wrath of God is revealed. And this passage shows us four reasons why God is 100% right to be angry with people due to their sin. We'll start in verse 18, and you see the first reason why God is 100% right to be angry, because people sinfully suppress the truth. They sinfully suppress the truth. Verse 18 tells us the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Of this verse, Philip Melanchthon said, this is an exordium terrible as lightning. You have to look up that word, exordium. It means it begins. It's the beginning. Verse 18 is beginning with the frightening indictment of fallen humanity. Denouncing human wickedness. Denouncing rebellion against God. And this, this is proof positive why the urgent need for gospel preaching. Here's how R.C. Sproul puts it. The gospel reveals God's righteousness, a revelation of his character and justice. And man, made in God's image, lost conformity to God's standards when he rebelled against God. And when God reveals himself to sinful people, they are destroyed by God's wrath. You know, you might go on YouTube or see a a clip and someone says, 
watch so-and-so destroy so-and-so, and it's a verbal exchange and having a debate, and it's like, wow, that person just destroyed that person. Well, here, when God reveals himself to a sinful person, they are destroyed by his wrath, not ultimately destroyed yet, but they're beginning to be destroyed by his wrath. He, he's revealed his righteousness so that people can be saved and restored to conformity to his justice and his character by faith. But what verse 18 is telling us is that when God reveals himself to sinners, they experience his wrath. What is the wrath of God? Wrath of God is the white-hot, fiery, fixed, fair fury of God against sinners. And it's not just, hey, by the way, bad choices have bad consequences. This is not a spur-of-the-moment, uncontrolled outburst of anger. This is God being repulsed at the depths of human depravity. It is the determined righteous response of God against sin. Psalm 2 verse 5 says, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Psalm 76 verse 7 says, who can stand before you, God, when your anger is roused? John 3 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Verse 18 tells us the wrath of God is revealed. It revealed means to uncover, to make known, to make visible. The question we need to answer is, is God's wrath here an end time event, or is it now occurring in human history as we speak? Now what we need to realize is there are future aspects of salvation and condemnation and there are present aspects as well. And believers, we saw this in 17, believers are, are experiencing God's righteousness right now. Likewise, unbelievers experience God's wrath right now. His judging righteousness. That God's wrath is rightly being experienced by the ungodly right now. This is an ongoing, constant revealing of his wrath. There will be a day of wrath and revelation and judgment in the future, and uh, the revelation of God's wrath is also a present reality. Now, there are two things in this passage that point to this fact. Number one, the, the verb revealed is in the present tense. It should be taken the same way that righteousness is taken in verse 17. Righteousness is currently being revealed as people are being saved. God's wrath is currently being revealed as people reject Christ. The second thing is found in the usage of the word wrath. It's in the past tense. It's describing the revealing of God's wrath. You've got the moral degradation of humanity since the fall, since Genesis. But it continues to this day. And it's in the, it's in the past tense. It's the manifestation, manifestation of the wrath of God. And the idea is anyone who refuses to repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus will experience what Romans 2 verse 5 says. The day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So here in verse 18, Paul is not speaking of final judgment. 
He is saying God's wrath is being revealed among humans who do not believe. And it's being revealed from heaven, from God. You look in the Bible, two ways that wrath from God is revealed. One, through his indirect action uh, via the natural consequences of violating his moral law. And secondly, through his direct personal action, giving sin's consequences. You see it from Adam and Eve all the way to the flood. You see it from the judgment on Sodom all the way to the Babylonian captivity and onward. And this wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against something. It's being revealed against ungodliness, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness is basically repudiating God. It's basically not worshiping God. It's wrong thinking about God that then leads to unrighteousness, which is wrong living before God and people. Literally, ungodliness is where you treat God wrongly. Unrighteousness is where you treat people wrongly. And what we see here is that an ungodly life comes from ungodly beliefs. Walter Luthi put it this way, our moral perversion is not the cause but the result of wickedness. The consequences of a more deep-seated evil. And what we're seeing unfold here is that human nature is drenched in sin, guilt, and judgment. There is rebellion against God where we're breaking the first four commands. There is wickedness towards people where we're breaking commands five through ten. All in one fell swoop, we're we're repudiating God, and so God is 100% right to be angry because people suppress the truth in their own unrighteousness. His wrath is manifested against the ungodly because they suppress the truth. The word suppress means to hold, it means to, to grasp, to clasp, to seize, to possess, to hold tightly. You see it used positively in the Bible, Uh, where we are to hold tightly to the truth of the word. You see it used negatively here, that all men know the truth and they grasp it, they clasp it, but in such a way as to suppress it, as to hold it down and away from themselves. You can put your hand on someone's shoulder to help them or you can choke them. God's wrath is revealed against everything, but how Romans puts it, The obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. God is angry with everyone except those who yield to Christ's lordship. So the first thing we see is that people sinfully suppress the truth. God's 100% right to be angry with them. And the second thing, you see it in verses 19 and 20. God is 100% right to be angry because people ignore the truth that God has shown them. Verse 19, what can be known about God is plain. God showed it to them. Verse 20, his his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, clearly perceived in creation. So to show how we suppress the truth, he makes the point that deep down we really know this truth that God exists. That's, That's what everyone knows. There's a creator God. And creation is covered by God's fingerprints. You know, people leave evidence at a scene of a crime God has left evidence all over the place for the fact that he is the creator God. Much of modern science has its roots in Christian soil. His eternal power, it's his omnipotence, 
God's all-powerful and his divine nature. Divine nature means the sum of all his attributes, the, the full revelation of the glory of God and his majesty. And he is the invisible God. He, and his eternal power and divine nature are visible in what he's created. Rain, fruit on trees, leaves falling to the ground, majestic mountains with, with snow on their peaks, all of this witness to the existence of God. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. It's day after day, night after night, this knowledge of God as Creator is being revealed. We're talking about natural theology here as it's known, what may be known about God without a Bible. What you need to know is natural theology can't rescue you from your sin. You can't come to Christ by looking at what he has created. Creation shows his greatness. But creation only gives you enough of God to make you inexcusably guilty for not worshiping him. God's attributes are, are perfectly balanced. He, the wrath of God, I mean, without it, he would not be God. Hebrews 1 verse 9 tells us, You, God, have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. You've loved righteousness, you, you hate sin. So what we see here is there has to be a clear understanding of what God hates before we can understand what he loves. We sing the song, Oh, how he loves us, and, and oh, how he does. Oh, how he loves us. Amy Carmichael, the missionary, wrote this, the love of God, what it is, none but his loved ones know. But God is 100% right to be angry with people due to their sin. They, they simply suppress the truth. They ignore the truth that God has given them. And the third reason is found in verse 21. God is 100% right to be angry because people refuse to honor him as God. They simply refuse to honor him as God. Verse 21, they knew. They didn't honor him as God. They didn't give thanks. They became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. It's the downward spiral of regression into sin. All the descriptive words here in verse 21 are in the aorist, in the past tense, uh, they're historical events. The, this is the story of mankind from, from Adam's fall into sin onward. Uh, this is not man evolving. Man is devolving. Don't believe the lie that man is evolving. He is devolving into sin and apostasy. Uh, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. When God has revealed himself in creation, man knew enough to, to know, to worship God who created the world, uh, but refuses to do so. Paul told the Ephesian believers in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verses 17 and 18, you must no longer walk according to the Gentiles in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. We haven't given God what is his due. 
And so there's a fourth reason that God is 100% right to be angry with people because of their sin. Not just because they sinfully suppress the truth. Not simply because they ignore the truth that God shows. Not simply because they refuse to worship him as God. But because people exchange God's glory for idolatry. You see it in verses 22 and 23. How people suppress the truth and worship non-God gods. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23. They exchanged the glory of, of God, the immortal God, for images that resemble mortal man and birds and, and bugs. So at the nucleus of, of the human depraved sinful condition, Paul gives this diagnosis of terrible magnitude. Mankind is making the worst exchange ever. Ever. An awful exchange. There was a Dr. Fitterer who was, what I heard was the Indiana Jones prototype, was an archaeologist and an adventurer, and many of the things that he collected around the world from the Holy Land um, were put in a museum in L.A. It was called the Holy Land Museum, and just on a corner in L.A., seriously, uh, I believe it's off the 110 freeway, and, and it's the Holy Land Museum. It's in a white old house right there off the freeway, and, and you go down in, into this museum, and there's all sorts of artifacts, and, and the thing that struck me the most was he had found all sorts of, of jewelry, and there were there's gold jewelry with, with um, you know, rubies and other things embedded in there, and they were in the shape of bugs, crawling things, and and I, what they told me was, that's because people back then were worshiping beetles and bugs. And, and, and they were worshiping God's creation. It wasn't just like, oh, we, we like that bug, we're going to make it into the shape of a jewelry. They were worshiping it. Can you imagine if someone gets married and, and, and you know, a thousand people are at their wedding and they give them all sorts of gifts like a big pile of really, really expensive gifts. Imagine that. It's your wedding, and you're the most popular person in your town, and you get a 1,000 people there, and they give you all these amazing gifts. They bought you everything you want, or you said you wanted. Everything on the registry, and more. And you have this big pile of all this good stuff, and you come home from the honeymoon, and you're sitting there going, we don't like this stuff. We're taking it back. And you go back to the store, and, and, they, and you say to them, we want to give, we want all this stuff to be returned and we want to exchange it for everything you have in the dumpster in the back of the building. It's ludicrous. It's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. That's just a, a small example of the kind of exchange that mankind has made. We were meant to reflect God's glory as creatures made in his image. We glorify creatures instead. You know, when you look at a person, you're supposed to be able to say, I can see a little bit of what God is like as I see you. But we lack this glory. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so by nature, our affections and our energies are focused on idolatry. And we can't think clearly as a result. We've exchanged the glory of of the incorruptible God into things that are corruptible, things far 
inferior things that we should be thanking God for, but not worshiping. Jeremiah 2.11 says, Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? My people, God says, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. It's like you're taking all those gifts and taking whatever's in the, in the trash in the back in exchange. We know the story. We, we know the facts. We're, we're living in them. We're going we're gonna to not go further in this passage. It, it, it devolves into worse. God gives people over. There's a downward spiral of sin. We're going over the edge of a scary biblical log ride. And the only thing that will keep us tethered is bedrock biblical truth to help us navigate the rapids of a scripture-rejecting, self-absorbed, sex-crazed, sin-laden, seismically fluctuating culture. And so I don't give you big lists often, but I'm going to give you a list of nine things that you might want to take notes on. And they're simple things, and they're Jesus-driven truths that, that must drive the way we interact in, in a world that is experiencing God's wrath right this very moment. You just look around, and, and you, this afternoon, you go your way, and you're going to be somewhere, and you just, look, just stop for a moment and just look around and, and think about how many people are lost and, and, and are suppressing the truth and are ignoring the truth that God has given them and, and they're refusing to honor God, and, and they also exchange God's glory for lies. Nine Jesus-driven truths that must drive our redemptive interaction in a world experiencing God's wrath. We are not, by the way, to isolate ourselves from the world, and we are not, by the way, to assimilate ourselves as unrecognizable with the world. We are to redemptively interact with the world that is experiencing God's wrath. So first, first thing, Jesus wants you to love him with all your heart. If you're a believer, you love him because he first loved you, and the gospel saves you and changes you. You believe the truth that Jesus died in your place for your sins on the cross, shed his blood, was buried, rose from the dead, is coming back for all who believe, all who live the obedience of faith, the power of the Spirit. You need to love Jesus First and foremost, in fact, you got to get this, you will never understand the profound reality of God's love until you understand the profound reality of his wrath and his anger. Secondly, Jesus wants you to cling to biblical truth. Be shaped by it. Truth never changes. Everything else fluctuates. The word does not change. Jesus wants you to cling to biblical truth. Third, Jesus wants you to be humble. We are not better than anybody. We have to rest in Christ's works, not our own. We need to boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. We need to, we need to interact humbly with people. Fourth, Jesus wants you to have empathy for others. Like, feel for their condition. That, you're, that, you, that you consider yourself in solidarity with people in all kinds of bent and broken circumstances. And first in your mind, you include yourself. You're like, uh, even if you're a believer, you're like, I'm still in a bent and broken circumstance. And God is in the midst of fixing it, but I don't see it all fixed yet. And number five, Jesus wants you to see sin as sin. 
that you wouldn't condone sin, that you wouldn't celebrate sin, that you wouldn't rationalize it or explain any sin away, yours or someone else's, but that you would repent of your sins. I want to pick on complainers right now. I'm a complainer. Some of you are probably complainers. I'm going to, though, I'm going to go think to myself that maybe I'm the only complainer in the, in the room. And if that's the case, here, here's the, the truth about, about a, a believer who's complaining. You're exchanging God's truth for Satan's lies when you complain. You're not thankful. You're not grateful. You're acting like an unbeliever. Chris, Chris Ash said grumblers are actually practical unbelievers. Because grateful people show that they're practicing obedience of faith. And, and Romans is so big on obedience of faith. It starts with obedience of faith. It ends with obedience of faith. Jesus wants you to see sin as sin. Number six, Jesus wants you to show the love of Jesus. Not just saying it, but living it before people. Showing the love of Jesus in your life in such a way that doesn't X out the truth of Scripture. That, that loving doesn't mean accepting error. Loving means to be truthful and to show his love. And, and sometimes the most loving thing to do is, is to tell people how, how wrong they are. Number seven, Jesus wants you to lovingly proclaim the gospel. He wants you to lovingly proclaim the gospel. We are, by nature, truth suppressors. We are supernaturally, by the grace of God, truth proclaimers someone recently said the church will either be known by its love or its declarations and i say no to that statement the church must be known by its love and its declarations in fact the church must be known for its loving declaration of biblical truth i hope you will see this is very counterintuitive to us, but I hope you will see that God's wrath is the key that unlocks the gospel. It's a starting point of evangelism that none of us want to go to. We all avoid talking about the wrath of God. Uh, we're sentimental, we're mushy, we're afraid. Think about this for a moment. Uh, you think of songs that Christians write for Christians to sing. There's not a lot of new songs being written about the wrath of God. But you pick out an old hymn book, they're full of them. We just don't want to talk about it. You need to lovingly proclaim the entire gospel. And number eight, Jesus wants you to relate courageously, uh, boldly, as you handle the Bible and interact with people. And you don't come at anyone with condemnation. And you don't come at anyone with compromise. As you navigate this unruly world with your own unruly heart, you are going to have to tiptoe through minefields at times. And unbelievers won't agree with you. A lot of believers won't agree with you. How many times I hear believers nowadays saying, well, I get what that says, but that's not what it means to me. I'm going to, you know, redefine that. You know what we're doing here? I, I'm not up here going, this is what this means to me. I haven't been studying all week and praying all week saying this is what it means to me. What I'm working hard at doing is saying this is what God meant when he wrote it. I'm not 100% right all the time, but you've got to work hard at saying, as far as we can tell, this is exactly what God means with these verses. Um, 
we should never be looking for a fight, by the way. We should relate courageously, but never be looking for a fight. But you live courageously with the truth, you're going to be put into opposition to ungodliness. And you're going to be planted in the middle of a contentious conversation that's being conducted daily in the public square. And by the way, our time that we live in is not unique. This has been going on for since time began when people started basically refusing God. And you shouldn't sidestep things as we apply biblical truth to life. You need to believe the gospel, believe the Bible in context, rightly handle the truth, 2 Timothy 2.15, and realize that truth is being exchanged for lies and that truth will prevail. And, and number nine, Jesus wants you to trust his sovereignty and providence, his perfect ways and his perfect timing uh, to, to open up hearts to the gospel and transform lives by his glory, for his glory, and, and know that he is sovereign, that know that he is in control. He is always right. Jesus is Lord over all. Someone said that the one true God must be honored, worshiped, and esteemed as God. Both the saving and judging righteousness of God are rooted in a desire to see his name glorified. His wrath is inflicted on the world because he is not prized, esteemed, and glorified. And I want to say something to the tenderhearted among us, and I'm going to treat you all as the tenderhearted. God knows your hearts, but I think you're probably tenderhearted. There's a, there's a temptation when you go through a passage like this to forget the context and think, oh my goodness, these verses are referring to me. My life is full of a lot of sin, and this must be referring to me. Now, there is a healthy way to think about uh, what does it mean to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And to ask the, that question, you should. Do these verses refer to me? And if you're a Christian, no, they don't. But if, if you're the tender-hearted amongst us that fear that these verses refer to you and you are a believer in Jesus, you need a heavy regular dose of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ you are clothed with the righteousness of God and God sees you that way. The righteousness of Christ, God sees you that way. Your mirror is faulty, his is perfect. Your eyesight is flawed, his is perfect. Your assessment of yourself pales in comparison to the truth about you. You are seated with him in the heavenly places. And God is protecting you by his power for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And ultimate glory for you is your election-decided, cross-assured, spirit-led destiny, not ruin and abandonment. I want to say something to the hard-hearted amongst us. If you are hard-hearted today and you fear that these verses refer to you, Believe them. Believe them. How do we rec reconcile God's wrath with his love? There is a popular saying that goes like this, God hates the sin but loves the sinner, which has some truth in it, but it's not all true. Don Carson says this cliche is false and, and should be abandoned. I think he's right. Uh, 14 times in the first 50 Psalms, you read that God hates the sinner, that his wrath is on the liar, and so on. In the Bible, God's wrath rests on sin and the sinner, and it was what you see in Romans 1, 18-32. The problem is, in our experience, we 
I don't see wrath and love usually side by side. It, when you have that big outburst of anger, you're not thinking about being loving at that point. Probably the only time that you maybe see the two close together is when you're responding to a wayward child of yours. And you're angry with them, but you love them, and you're not going to throw them away. It's easy to think that somehow God is the way we relate. And, and this is not the way it is with God. God's wrath is not his blind rage. It's an entirely reasonable and willed response to offenses against his holiness. God in his perfection must be wrathful towards rebel image bearers because they have offended him and God in his perfections must be loving towards his rebel image bearers because he is loving and if you think about the what the old testament is telling us about both the love and, and the wrath of God is um, it is displaying God's love and displaying God's wrath in ways that become very very clear in the old, in the new testament so what you see in the old testament about the love of God and the wrath of God become very, very clear in the New Testament. Psalm 5 says, you hate all evildoers. And John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Uh, both of those, Psalm 5.5 5 and John 3.16, are equally true at the very same time. God's love and wrath through history was ratcheted up, really, barreling uh, along uh, through redemptive history, unresolved until they come to a resounding uh, crescendo at the cross of Christ. So you want to know uh, what God's love looks like? Look at the cross. You want to know what God's wrath looks like? Look at the cross. The greatest revealing of God's love and God's wrath and God's hatred of sin is when he poured his judgment out on Christ at the cross because he loves us so much. God's wrath it is rightly experienced right now by the ungodly. God is 100% correct and right to be angry with people due to their sin. Just as he is 100% right in justifying wicked sinners because of Christ's righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can actually Embrace the tension of sinful humanity and our own uh, tendencies to sin, our proneness to wander from you and your word, and, and acknowledge that we have no hope but in Christ. And by your grace, we contemplate your greatness in saving us. And may it drive us to esteem you above all and to share the gospel fervently and to trust you to open hearts in your perfect timing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.